Chapter Thirteen of Fairy Fingers by Anna Cora Mollett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kelly Taylor. Chapter Thirteen Weary Days. Up to this period of his life, the vigorous constitution of Maurice had suffered no exhausting drain. His habits had been so regular, his mode of life so simple, that his fine physique had been untrifled with, uninjured. As a natural sequence, the first inroads made upon his strength were rapidly repaired. The fever once conquered, in a week he was sufficiently convalescent to walk out, leaning on the arm of Gaston de Bois or Ronald Walton his gait was feeble his form attenuated his countenance had lost its ruddy glow the lines had sharpened until their youthful healthful roundness was wholly obliterated but the nervous untranquil expression had passed from his face and the restless glancing from side to side had left his eyes through the stimulating medium of fresh air and gentle exercise he gained new vitality, and the promise of speedy restoration was daily confirmed. His favorite resort was the atelier of the celebrated master, under whose direction Ronald was studying his art. Seated in the comfortable armchair devoted to the use of models, Maurice often remained for hours, watching the busy brushes and earnest faces among which the genius-lighted countenance of the young carolinian shone conspicuously on one of these occasions after sitting for some time lost in thought when he chanced to turn his head ronald surprised him by crying out my dear fellow don't move keep that position another moment will you i am making a sketch of your head it is just the outline i want for my saxon knight after the battle maurice could not but smile at this evidence of the national trait of the young american who seized upon every material within his reach for the advancement of his art ronald's words too struck him after the battle well might he resemble one who had passed through a severe conflict but it was also one who was prepared to fight valiantly anew and not disposed to succumb to the army of adverse circumstances arrayed against his peace it was not possible for a young man endowed with the impressible temperament of maurice to be thrown into constant communication with an associate as full of vigorous activity as ronald walton without being stirred and inspired by the contact the force decision aptitude promptness which distinguished ronald had constituted him a sort of prince among his fellow students who gave him the lead in all their united movements without defining to themselves his claim to supremacy ronald's character was not free from imperfections but its very faults were essentially national were characteristics of that fast-running nation which is indivertible to inane and incredulous of the existence of the unattainable his dominant failing was a self-dependence which in a weaker nature would have degenerated into self-sufficiency but just stopped short of that complacent puerile egotism which narrows the mind and rears its own opinions upon a judgment-seat to pronounce verdicts upon the rest of the world 
he never doubted his ability to scale any height upon which he fixed his eyes he laughed at obstacles he did not believe in impossibilities what any other man could accomplish that he had an eternal conviction he might also achieve he held the faith of the poet queen that all men were possible heroes these attributes were precisely those most calculated to impress and charm maurice and he regarded ronald with the unbounded admiration mingled with a sickening sense of regret when he reflected upon the trammels which reigned in the ready impulses and crushed the instinctive aspirations which were wrestling within himself count tristan as soon as his son was sufficiently restored to travel suggested that he should return with him to brittany but maurice betrayed such uncompromising reluctance to this proposal that his father thought it wise not to press the point though the count had escaped a calamity which even to contemplate had almost driven him out of his mind though his son's life was spared and his restoration to vigorous health assured at times the father felt as if the son was lost to him for ever an inexplicable reserve had risen up and thrust them asunder in the count's presence maurice was always abstracted and pensive he uttered no complaints made no petitions he had come to the conclusion that both were useless but his opinions and wishes were no longer frankly boldly iterated he and his father stood upon different platforms with an invisible but insurmountable barrier looming up between them count tristan albeit irritated galled grieved could discover no means of re-establishing the olden footing after spending a month in paris he returned to brittany his mind filled with discomforting forebodings to which he could give no definite shape maurice was once more left in the great gay capital his own master at liberty to plunge into whatever sea of dissipation to float idly down whatever tide of pleasure lured him but he wronged himself when he warned his father some months previous that if he were debarred from studying a profession he might seek excitement or oblivion in impure channels and waste his exuberant energies in degrading pastimes he spoke on the spur of some vague restless impulse within him that clamoured for an outlet but he misjudged himself in imagining that he could be compelled to drown the memory of his disappointment in the wine-cup the vortex of the gaming-table or the more fearful maelstrom of siren allurements to a young heart which has not been sullied by familiar contact with evil there is no aegeus so invulnerable to the assaults of those deadly enemies who make their attacks in the fascinating garb of licentious liberty as a strong pure life-absorbing attachment he who wears the shield of a first stainless affection carries ethereal spear in his hand and at a single touch the sensual enchanter in his path however resplendent its disguise drops the fair-featured mask and shining mantle and stands revealed in native hideousness the image of madeleine ever present to maurice drew around him a protecting circle which nothing vile could enter and wherever his own eyes turned it seemed to him that her heavenly eyes followed 
could he profane their holy gaze by fixing his upon scenes of captivating degradation and rose-crowned vice day after day as his strength returned it was but natural that he should grow more and more weary of monotonous indolence and more and more impatient to escape from its depressing deadening thraldom the happy change which a settled occupation had effected in gaston de bois seemed to add to the discontent of his friend sometimes he was on the point of starting for brittany and making a fresh appeal to his father then he was withheld by the dread that an angry discussion would be the only sequence he knew that his father's pride sustained by that of his grandmother was unconquerable and that the sentence which condemned him to a dreary inert and profitless existence would only be pronounced upon him anew since his illness he had entirely abandoned his vain search for madeleine he always felt as though he had seen her albeit when he attempted to reflect upon the likelihood that she had actually sat beside his couch and watched over him during his illness reason essayed to efface the impression which could hardly have been made by the fingers of reality even granting that madeleine on leaving brittany had joined the sisterhood and proposed to devote her life to holy offices for which she was richly dowered by nature was there not a novitiate to be passed how could she so soon have entered upon her sacred duties and if by some mysterious dispensation she had been absolved from the probation of a novice how could she have learned that he was ill how could she have come to him so promptly was it probable that mr walton an entire stranger had by mere accident selected a nurse from the very society which she had joined these questions and others equally difficult to answer sprang up constantly in his mind and found no satisfactory answer yet the conviction that he had actually beheld her remained unshaken bertha had been apprised by her aunt of the dangerous illness of maurice and had written to him when he was unable to read her letters as soon as he was convalescent they were placed in his hands my dear gaston write a line to my cousin for me begged maurice feeling that he had not the strength to reply and little dreaming what a thrill of joy ran through gaston's frame at the request monsieur de bois wrote and wrote with such eloquence that never could have found utterance through his tongue if we may judge from the number of times bertha perused that letter or if we may draw an inference from her wearing it about her person probably that she might be able to refresh her memory with its information concerning her cousin the epistle was either very difficult of comprehension or it had some witching spell which drew her eyes irresistibly to its cabalistic characters she had not recovered her wonted buoyancy beneath her uncle's roof she pined for madeleine hardly less than at the chateau de grammont the marquis de merivale her guardian was a bachelor the chief object of his existence was an endeavor to take life easy and guard himself from all vexations and discomforts his next aim was to pamper the cravings of an epicurean appetite 
but always with such judicious ministry that his digestive organs might not be impaired thereby he was good-natured on principle because it was too much trouble to get excited and vexed his equanimity was seldom disturbed save by his cook's failure in connection of a favorite dish count tristan had drawn largely on his invention when he informed the marchioness de fleury that bertha's uncle was exceedingly tenacious of his rights and jealous of the interference of his niece's relatives in regard to any future alliance she might form the marquis never dreamed of troubling his brain with such a minor matter as matrimony he was inclined to be governed entirely by bertha's predilection to leave the affair wholly to her throwing off the trouble with the responsibility he could have no objection to see her affianced to the duc de montauban he would have none to her union with maurice de grammont he found it sufficient pleasure to have his bright-faced niece sitting opposite him at table so long as she was gay and had a good appetite if he had thwarted her wishes he would have accused himself of making a base unkindly attempt to injure her digestion by causing her annoyance he considered himself quite incapable of so unworthy so harmful so cruel an action when she returned from the chateau de grammont he was discomposed at finding that she brought back a clouded visage and seemed perfectly indifferent to the choicest dainties which he caused to be set before her as the most striking mark of his affection indeed he became so uncomfortable when she rejected these delicate attentions day after day that his mind was gradually prepared to look favourably upon a proposition which bertha had resolved to make she had been at home about a month they were dining that is her uncle was enjoying partaking of the meal that rounded his day while bertha's fork played with the oyster pate on her plate dividing it into tiny bits but never lifting one to her mouth the marquis after discounting warmly upon the excellence of the pate which he highly relished interrupted his eulogium by saying my dear child you have not tasted a morsel of this incomparable pate it is a triumph of the culinary art if you will uh, just oblige me by touching a small piece to your lips the paste is so light it will magically melt really you must eat i cannot uncle try try it disturbs me greatly to see you sitting there looking so gloomy it will really hurt my digestion and that would be a frightful calamity don't you like lucian's cooking i think him a treasure but if you cannot relish what he prepares he shall receive his dismissal i dare say i should like the cooking in paris better than any other remarked bertha treacherously assailing her uncle in his vulnerable point paris what are you talking about we cannot have our dinners sent from paris and kept warm on the road can we but we might go to paris and take our dinners she rejoined coaxingly 
Bless my heart, what an idea! It's a day's journey. Think of the trouble and discomfort of getting there. Think of the new inventions of Parisian cuisine, for they invent new dishes, and my cousin Maurice has told me as often as they originate new fashions for dress. There are abundance of novel dishes every day, issuing from the brains of accomplished cooks, dishes of which you have never heard, and really ought to taste some of them that's a consideration it positively is i must reflect upon it replied her uncle and maurice seems to cling to the idea that my cousin madeleine continued bertha there there my dear that will do don't touch upon that unpleasant subject especially at dinner it will certainly injure your digestive organs and give you the blues for the rest of the day i assure you my child all low spirits come from indigestion i am convinced that indigestion is the great cause of all the sadness and sorrow and i dare say of all the sin in the world it seems to me a change of air must be very beneficial replied bertha recovering from the false step she had been on the point of making very wisely remarked change of air is beneficial and gentle exercise is beneficial both stimulate the digestive faculties and keep their healthy action and you really think, my dear, you would like to taste some of those new Parisian dishes? I should indeed. Then you shall. I look upon it as criminal in the present low state of your appetite to thwart its faintest craving. Of course, we cannot procure anything fit to sustain nature on the road to Paris, but I can make Pierre pack up a basket of refreshments and a bottle of old wine so that we shall not be poisoned on the way if we can only make the journey comfortably. I have no objection to investigate the gastronomic novelties of which you have heard we could take lucian with us that he might learn some of the new mysteries in his art oh to be sure you could when shall we start uncle dear i am so anxious to go when shall we start there there don't get excited about it that will interfere with the gastric juices let us conclude our dinner quietly try a wing of that pheasant while we discuss the matter with wholesome calmness bertha allowed herself to be helped to the wing and tried to force down a few morsels for the sake of humouring the generously inclined bon vivant who grew more and more genial and amiably disposed as he sipped his chateau margot fine wine invariably had a softening expansive effect upon his character and after a few glasses he honestly looked upon himself as one of the most tender-hearted soberly inoffensive and morally disposed of mortals if bertha had openly proposed to him that they should spend a few weeks in paris for the gratification of any praiseworthy intention of her own or of any harmless whim he would have unhesitatingly refused and opposed any number of objections to the proposition but 
she had introduced the subject in its most favorable light and was sure of a victory a few days later the marquis de merivelle and his niece attended by her maid his valet and cook were on their way to the metropolis the marquis having instituted many inquiries with a view of discovering what hotel rejoiced in the possession of the most scientific cook concluded to engage a suite of apartments at the hotel des trois empereurs the meeting between bertha and maurice was as full of tenderness as though they had been in reality what their strong family resemblance caused them to appear brother and sister no word from madeleine yet was bertha's first inquiry hardly an inquiry for she knew what the answer must be maurice told her of the sour de bon secours who had sat by his bed night after night could it really have been madeleine she asked breathlessly monsieur dubois seems to think not yet i am unshaken in my conviction that it was she herself but why did you not speak to her a feeling that i can scarcely define withheld me at first i thought i was dreaming and that the dream would have been broken if i spoke or moved then i felt sure madeleine was there but that she believed herself unrecognized and if i showed that i knew her she would leave me leave me when i could not follow and must again have lost all trace of her it was such a luxury such a joy to feel her by my side it was her presence and not the skill of the physician which restored me and you never betrayed yourself no what seems most singular is that from the very day i mentioned to monsieur dubois that i had seen her she came no more yet how could she have learned or divined that i knew her that circumstance my dear maurice makes it all look like a dream as soon as the fever left you the phantom it conjured up disappeared maurice shook his head unconvinced and bertha was too willing to be deceived herself to attempt to persuade him that he was in error the marquis de merivelle now entered maurice whom he had only known slightly rose in favour when the epicure found that the young parisienne could give all requisite information concerning the best restaurant in paris and the vicomte reached a higher summit of esteem when he promptly promised to put lucien en train to familiarize himself with the certain valuable culinary discoveries maurice knew enough of the character of the marquis to be confident that his stay in the metropolis would be determined by the amount of comfort he enjoyed and the quality of the dinners set before him bertha's next visit was from monsieur de bois and could she have banished from her mind a vague impression that he loved madeleine or was beloved by her the interview would have afforded her unmitigated happiness monsieur de bois had not yet gained sufficient mastery over himself to command his utterance in the presence of the woman who had most power to confuse him he still stammered painfully but he could not help remarking that even as madeleine had said 
Bertha finished his broken sentences, apparently unaware that she was doing so, and her greeting, surely it had been far from cold, and did she not say, with soft emphasis, which it almost took his breath to hear, that it seemed an age since they had met? Had she then felt the time long? And did she not drop some involuntary remark concerning the dullness of Brittany after he and Maurice left? Had she not coupled him with her cousin? Might he not dare to believe that Madeleine was right? And Bertha certainly did not scorn him. End of chapter 13